It's the Hoffman Show, hour two on this Friday on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Normally 5 o'clock, time for Not My Beat. Our top story today, uh, which we'll talk about with someone who is there, is the NBA's in-season tournament. Mark Kessler will join us at 5.30 for that. We initially had Kessie scheduled here for 5 o'clock. The Lakers ran a little bit long with their media availability. But uh, the man who was on the mic to call the games for ESPN Radio will join us this hour right now though a uh, different men talking into microphones me and logan paulson discussing the commander's upcoming coaching search and more it was a mailbag edition of take command but still want to let you hear it on this friday on the hoffman show take command podcast from odyssey sports greg hoffman here logan paulson there mailbag mailbag edition of the show here on the commander's bye week all right next question comes from our guy Teresh, uh who's just he, he Teresh uh, works like behind the scenes in media um and he just always has the coolest facts he always has the coolest stuff where he like great data great this great great thinking uh you know uh just just great like thought-provoking questions so he goes, I'd like for you or for Logan and you to share some examples of things he noticed from assistant coaches he's worked with that showed him they were capable of leading a franchise as a head coach and not just an X's and O's guy. Hey, that's a that's a really good question because it's um it's kind of hard to know. There is a an element of like this dude's a brilliant football guy, right? Like uh, I think uh, let's just take the guys that I worked with, like Sean McVay, for example. I think it was mm-hmm. very clear very early on that he was going to be something special because he had this ability not only to like understand football and football was important. I mean, he was a grinder and a worker, but he also had this tremendous ability to relate to players, right? Like he'd go through the hallway. Hey, you know, Logan, what's up? Hey, London, how you doing? And he'd have a little joke. And it was like very easy and uh, for him to kind of relate to every single person. You take someone like Mike McDaniels, who was obviously very smart, even when he was here, you know, very, very smart. And then again, in San Francisco, very, very smart. But his personality is a little bit different. And you've seen that in like the countless social media clips. Like he's a little bit quirky, a little bit funny, a little sarcastic. And you're kind of like, how is that going to play in front of a group? And there was a period of time before I got with him in San Fran. I was like, I don't I think he's a brilliant coach, but I'm not sure how that's going to play when he's the head coach. But again, he's kind of taken his, you know, his his personality and found a way to relate to players. Kyle, too, I think is interesting. Kyle, when I first was here with him was a little bit standoffish you know he wouldn't say hi to you it was very kind of in his own head very like a beautiful mind I'm thinking about something all the time and when he got to San Fran or when I went to San Fran and he got the head coaching job it was cool to see him kind of take the thing that he was excellent at and use that to relate to players so he would never do a team meeting without film in front of him and he kind of laid the foundation through watching film and and showing players his command of football and then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Kyle's awesome. I respect Kyle. Defensive guys, like the way he installed that cover three or the way he talked about our cover three, he knows what's up. He's going to get us right. And then it took him probably a year and a half to two years, but then he started doing the Sean McVay, you know, kissing babies, shaking hands type of thing, and that totally changed. And so I think if there's one thing that is so important for a position coach, it's that they are, in my opinion, in my experience, even Matt LaFleur was like this. Matt LaFleur is probably more similar to Sean, smart guy, extremely obsessed with football would be the other thing that's important obsessed with football and he had that kind of charisma and you see that up in in green bay so i think that to me is the main thing are they obsessed with football like obsessed with football like 
eat, sleep, drink football, because that's what those guys are. They sleep at the facility. They talk about football. Kyle, I remember saying, like, the way I value you as a person is how how you approach football. And that's how they all are. They're all super dialed in like that. So are they obsessed with football, and can they relate to the players? And I think the thing that those four examples show you is that everyone can relate in different ways as long as you find that that mode of connection um, that, that helps you uh, convey your obsession with football at a high level. What I think is interesting about those guys, having listened to the Playmaker series, and I yeah. just read a long uh, Washington Post profile a couple of weeks ago on McDaniel, is I don't know if they would agree with the last part to the extent they did when they coached you. I think all of them, as they've gotten a little bit older, have gained some perspective. McDaniel specifically talks about this in the post piece where he's like, I can't sleep at the facility anymore. Like I just right. refuse to do that because I realized I wasn't as good of a coach because sleep is really important. And you, you hear um, him say in a team meeting during hard knocks or a, a team huddle after a practice on the short week, he's like, go sleep. Sleep is the most important thing you will do this week. Please go sleep. And so I, I do think it's interesting how the concept of a human touch evolves over the course of a coaching arc and a career um, as people evolve as human beings. I know Sean, obviously Sean just became a dad for the first time. Um, and I think that when he got super burnt out a couple of years ago and was ready to retire, like he and his wife, Veronica, uh, looked at things and were like, maybe, maybe we need to find ways to take a step back a little bit. Absolutely. But I think that, I think that like, there's still an obsession there and, and, learning out how to channel it is something that happens as you get older and you progress in your career. There's another great saying, um, that I love just generally, um, this is like great life advice, uh, more than it is like football coaching, but you know, grind when you're young, so you don't have to, when you're old, like you mm -hmm. learn how to work smarter as you get going, but what doesn't get lost is the obsession. How it manifests itself is certainly super important. If I'm, if I am looking for a younger head coach, I want someone who has that grind, that, last one in the facility, burn the midnight oil type of attitude where I'm a little less concerned about that if they're a little bit older and they have a, a more advanced mastery of it. But what's important through all of that, the through lines are exactly what you said, obsession with football and do you have the human touch? And I, I think I've told this story before, but I was, uh, I was with McVay at one point and you know, there was a TV on and he uh, like there's the NFL top 100 and Jordan Reed pops up and he's, you know, wherever he is on the list that given year. And he just immediately is like, I got to text, I got to text Reed. And, and it's like the middle of the off season. And he's, he's texting Jordan Reed, like just being like, man, you're the best. Like, you're so great. Like, mm. I'm, I'm so lucky to coach you. Like he had a way of building guys up and a way of connecting with them in a way of, of making them feel seen and valued. And, and McDaniel talks about this a lot. Um, if you read some of his stuff, if you watch uh, the in-season hard knocks, like that way. And like Kyle, it sounds like he went about it differently where he'd be like, I care about you if you can help me win football well, games. But it's but also like, like, you feel valued. But to like, your point though, it like, it changed, it evolved. You know, it started mm -hmm. as this very austere, very serious thing. And then the personal touch developed, but I'm saying it all, it started for him in his yeah. mastery and his relationship to football. And I think like that's, and the other thing, I think there's a third element here. Like those dudes are all brilliant guys. And I don't yeah. use that as like a, I'm not being hyperbolic there. Like they are brilliant guys. Like when you sit and talk to them about football, you're like, you are one of the top 10 smartest people on the planet on this subject matter. And they would just, they would, they would kind of um, downplay that obviously, but like, it's obvious the proof's in the pudding. So um, I would just say it's that obsession, but there needs to be 
a natural gift. And I think you just in the interview process, you'd be able to see that, right? There's a lot of smart yeah. guys, but are there those special guys? And all, all four of those guys that we talked about, even LaFleur, you know, he gets forgotten a little bit in that mix, but he's, he's one of those guys too. They, they have a grind. They have a process. It's a very clear vision. I think that's the other thing that is getting a little bit more technical as opposed to those kind of major points we alluded to is they understand their vision very, very clearly yeah. for what it is. And so in that interview process, if the guy's like, oh, yeah, we could do this or we could do this. I don't know if he's the right guy for me because I want him to say like this is where this is where I think football is at now. This is where I think offensively we can take football, and I think they all had a good understanding of that. I think Sean in his first or second year in LA when that offense really innovated and they did some really uh, high level stuff, like he took football to the next level. Sean Lafleur, I mean, you see McDaniel in um, in Miami doing it all the time. Lafleur this year elevating Jordan Love, like you just see how they understand. How to maximize what they're doing? How they the 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 hunger to bring in defenses that give them a hard time and work against them every single day. Like they, there's something really special uh, technically in the drive, but also it's you can't forget about like obviously there's the the brick and mortar stuff that you're building. Oh, we're building offense. We're talking football, the intellectual stuff, but there's also the interpersonal stuff which they've all mastered. So I think those are things that I would really just kind of if I'm hiring, those are things I'm looking for. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other thing that I would say is you have to be able to teach it. Um, and that's like, and I'm just trying to think of other things too, where like, I think of Brandon Staley in LA, I don't know why he's not working. Um, right. like he is too defensive football. What those other guys seem to be offensively, like the way he thinks about it. Um, you know, and, and he obviously went toe to toe with Sean, uh, for a couple of years in practice. Like he's one of the number one Vic Fangio disciples. Like, he was the one who invented a lot of this like star coverage and was like, you want to know what? We got Jalen Ramsey. We're not going to play Jalen Ramsey at corner. We're not going to play him at nickel. We're going to play Jalen Ramsey at Jalen Ramsey. Like he, he figured out how to do that in an effective way um, to feature certain skill sets. And he seems to be very in touch on an interpersonal level with players and the way he talks about like humanity and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and it just hasn't worked. And so I, I wonder like what the, sh I, I would want to know what the shortcoming is for Brandon Staley that McVay and Shanahan and McDaniel and LaFleur have and like know what that thing is and then look for, make sure that the guy that I'm going after doesn't just check three or four boxes, if you will, but checks four or four, you know? Yeah. I think the thing that I would, I would assume, and I haven't worked with Brandon Staley, obviously, and I don't know him, yeah. but having dealt with people that have worked with him, there is a there's a competitiveness in Sean, in Kyle, in LaFleur, in McDaniels that is is high level. You know, like, so they're going to compete in practice. They're going to still, while still maintaining, like, I think you can go two ways, like, as a coach, right? You can kind of push your, your glasses up your nose and be overly technical and be overly nerdy, right? And I mean that with all due respect because that's how I am as a person. I'm overly nerdy when it comes to football. And you can also kind of be overly sympathetic. But you got to remember that football is a is a violent physical game, you know, and I want violent, physical, competitive sons of guns. And I need to lead those people in a way that gets that out of them. I think yeah. that's where you see like when you watch San Francisco and you watch the defense and you watch the mindset, you watch the run game like it is it's it's awesome, you know, And I, but that's that's a culture that they've bred there. And right. you like, can see to them take it out of the, the same tree that we're always in, like Dan Campbell in, in Detroit. Yeah. 
a perfect example. Love that example, right? He like yeah. there's a there's a there's a there's a toughness, there's a mindset, there's a culture there that's fantastic. So um, I think that's something that I would kind of point to and say like you need to walk that line really carefully of saying, you know, I'm really smart. Um, I relate to players really well, but also I know how to push and get this kind of this this barbar this this barbarian out of them and get them to execute it in this way. So and it, it's a fine balance. And there's a reason it's hard to find good young head coaches. But I think when you look at like D'Amico Ryan's in Houston, and again, he's kind of from that Kyle tree, like smart guy, relates to the players well, but also no one would doubt that he's an absolute warrior. You know, I played against him when he was in Philly, like he's an absolute warrior. And he I'm sure he brings that mindset to his coaching philosophy. You know, yeah. Solo, Sirianni like, seems to have that in Philly speaking of. <clears throat> Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You see Sirianni getting after and getting fired up, and I think when you look at Salah, like he's the nicest guy you've ever met, but he is a competitive son of a gun who knows how to motivate guys to play hard. And I think that's another thing that you see in some of these young kind of rising head coaches. That's so so important. It's the smart, the relationship to the players, but it's also can you motivate that kind of. Uh, primal aggression, I think, is also something I would look to. Yeah, Dable, I think, has that in New York. Um, obviously, yeah. both New York coaches are dealing with pretty crappy rosters right now, so the records <laughs> don't necessarily reflect it. Um, but I would agree with you on Salah. Like, he's a great example of it. Um, you know, you watch Hard Knocks, the preseason edition, and, like, ready to run through a wall for that guy. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a great call, um, which leads us to the obvious follow-up uh, before we take our final break here. Is there someone out there right now who you think fits that mold, who you're looking at? Like, what's the what's the wish list? I know we we're we're doing the same list as everybody else at this point to an extent. Um, like, we haven't, you know, but you also know people around the league, so maybe you do have a slightly different list. Um, and one of the names that's going to come up is a guy you know very well, and Frank Smith, who's the OC down in Miami, um, was your tight ends coach in, in some previous stops. Um, yeah. I, I look at him. I look at Ben Johnson um, in Detroit, who I'll talk about more in a second. Anybody else that's that's on the list that you think fits uh, that mold that we were just talking about? I mean, those two guys for sure, because it's easy to kind of draw a corollary to offensive coaches. But for me, like Dan Quinn has to be on the list. You know, like he's a guy that I have the utmost respect for having played for him in Atlanta. A guy that I think understands, this is something that I think is so important, understands the importance of offensive football. Like you're a defensive coach you got to make sure that offensive hire is out of this world. And it's something that he talked about with me after he he left Atlanta. was like, just, hey, like that's, that's something I really got to prioritize. So knowing that that's on his agenda. I think Raheem Morris, a guy that mm. was here, you know, I was with him in Atlanta also. I know he's been in L.A. I know he's I, I know he's he's one of the brightest football guys I've been around. He knows how to relate to players. And hopefully, you know, from his first stint in Tampa, he's learned how to motivate guys and kind of get that kind of get that competitive edge out of them. So I think those are two guys on the defensive side of the ball that I would point to. Obviously, Bobby Slowick, I know he's only been a year coordinator down in Houston, but what he's done down there is tremendous. Like it is tremendous. And again, that's all Kyle, that's the Kyle Shanahan tree just continuing. But I think having an understanding of what Kyle does, what McDaniel does, what LaFleur does, what Sean does, what you know, some of the best offenses in football do and have that hunger, have that drive, and be able to relate to the younger players, I think is another thing that's so important. And you see that with Dan, the way that defense is playing, you know they relate to him, right? You see that Backwards with... hat DQ. Yeah, and you know, and you see that with Raheem and the defenses that he coaches. So yeah. I, I think those guys are some names that, um, you know, I want to interview them, I want to talk to them, but, you know, having played with them and having watched the product that they've cultivated over the last, you know, three, four, five years in some cases, like, I, I, I would feel very... Um, 
I, I would I would assume that they've evolved in their coaching perspectives and and are ready for that opportunity. Yeah, I think I think those are all really good names. Um, so my guy's always been um, the the guy from Detroit, um, Ben Dan Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, uh, Ben Johnson. Um, the OC, ben Johnson. Yeah, the OC from from the Detroit Lions, right. and you know. Dan Campbell obviously uh, has, has, is a huge part of that culture there. He's the, the tone setter. Um, but you look at their first year when they had Anthony Lynn and then what they did with Jared Goff years two and three now with Johnson as the OC. And, you know, he's able to create one of the league's best offenses without a super elite premier quarterback. And that is incredibly huge. appealing. Like, is Sam Howell more likely to be Jared Goff than Patrick Mahomes? Hell yeah, he is. And so can I create a league's best offense with him and you know Amon Ross St. Brown level like Amon Ross St. Brown's incredible but is he Jamar Chase no does he produce like Jamar Chase damn near for long stretches of seasons he does right. so I I like that guy and and I was even more sold on this last week when we had Adam Amin on the radio show um and Adam uh Fox Sports play-by-play who obviously did the commanders game with Mark Schlereth last week um Adams had Detroit a couple times over the last couple years and I asked him, I was like, hey, you get to do all these production meetings and you get to talk to coaches, you get to talk to OCs, you get to talk to DCs. Is there anybody that really stands out to you as like that guy's ready for a head coaching job? And, you know, he's he hasn't had everybody. So there's not this right. is not to discount anyone that, that you just named that Adam might not have had an interaction with. I'd actually be curious to follow up with him and see what he thought of Frank Smith uh, down in Miami after because he hadn't had their production meetings with Miami yet. And that was his first time having Miami this year. But he goes, Ben Johnson is in a total class of his own. Like his ability to command a room, his ability to do all the head coachy stuff, even though he's the OC, is right there. And it's one broadcaster's opinion in a production meeting. But like we in this field have seen a lot of stuff. Adam's talked to a lot of people over the years. Like Adam has uh, done college football. He's done, done the NFL. He's done the NBA. Like Adam's been around a lot of really good coaches in his career. And if he's like, that dude's got it, I tend to trust that evaluation Obviously, Adam can't tell you what his X's and O's are. Can't tell you what he's like behind the scenes. But like that it factor that you want in the head coach that Sean has, that Kyle has, that Matt has, that Zach Taylor has in, in Cincinnati, yeah. that Kevin has in, in Minnesota, that the best coaches in this league have, very clearly Ben Johnson has it. And so he is he has consistently been at the top of my list. And I also think philosophically, I like the way he yes. thinks about the game. And I would say the same is true for Smith. I would assume for most of the other names you mentioned as well, like the prioritization of getting your best players the ball, being creative in, in how you do that, and a healthy run-pass balance that makes your quarterback's job easier on the offensive side. Like that is that is the philosophy that I think is best in the modern NFL. That's what I would be looking for. I'm not Josh Harris, so we'll see. No, but I, I think that's – when you're looking for an offensive perspective and a cultural perspective, I think it doesn't get much better than that. You know, like you talk about a culture and, and turn it around really quickly and having a clear vision. Like, he's been part of that. He's been part of that build. And I think that's another yeah. reason why Frank Smith is so appealing too is they've been part of a culture shift, you know. And it's all stemmed from an offensive philosophy. But, like, you see the importance in McDaniel's case of and, – and, again, I, I reference McDaniel's because Frank is under his tutelage like, like – yeah. Um, like Ben is under Dan, 
Like they made the decision to go hire Vic Fangio this offseason. They made the decision to go get Tyree Kill. They made the decision to bring in Jalen Ramsey. You look at Dan Campbell's drafts. You look at the perspective that they have as a physical team. Like you've seen how to build a, build a roster and then maximize the most important position of football in both instances, right? Both those guys are playing above their skis and they're good football players, but they're also playing better because of the coaching, right? And, and the stuff that they've done there to kind of maximize those players. So I think those, I mean, he's, He's the best candidate in football right now, and I think if I'm him, I probably go. I probably go to San Diego or no to the Chargers because yeah. of the Herbert connection. But again, like this this job, I think is going to be very appealing, and maybe you you know you, you put something out there, you get a good land there, and I, I think he'd be excellent. But I think all those guys I just mentioned, even um even Shane Day up in Seattle, you know the offensive coordinator uh, Shane there, Waldron. Shane Waldron. Shane yeah. Waldron, excuse me, yeah, I think I think is another interesting guy too. You know, a guy that's yeah. been schematically, around schematically. I know he's got it. I don't know if he's got the the right. other stuff I and that's truly I don't know yeah and I've and I know Shane because he was here on this staff like think about okay. that like how crazy this this is like this yeah this Washington tree he was here and he's an excellent guy now can he be that leader and the question is I don't know but a lot of like I just said like when I went through our like little Rolodex of coaches that we know I didn't know for those guys either but they grew and they developed and um, and to me, it's the football mind and the obsession that you see. But I do think those two guys we mentioned at the top are, are really high on the list. Obviously, the two defensive coaches we mentioned are pretty high on my list as well because they've seen they've seen that thing we're trying to get here in Washington and they understand yeah. how to do it. So I think that's what I would. But again, there's a lot of really bright dudes out there from bright organizations. Last thing I'll say real quick, score some uh, brownie points with Logan, but also I, I firmly believe this. I love a tight ends coach. Yeah. Uh, a tight ends coach background because he understands a pass game. He understands a run game. Like tight end is the ultimate position in terms of understanding everything. Pass pro, run blocking, route running, like how you interact with the quarterback. Tight ends coaches tend to do that as well as anyone. Like Sean, former tight ends coach. Yeah. Um, you know, McDaniel did some tight ends work uh, in, his, in his day. Well, he was, a, I mean, a run, like, run game. Like think about his progression. Yeah. Receiver to run game coordinator. And I think under right. like that point you're talking about, he has the pass protection and the run game stuff in conjunction with the passing game, and so you got. I think you got to look for that in that in that yeah. guy in that. And Ben Johnson line. and Frank Smith, tight yes. end coaches, right by trade. We answered a bunch more questions in that Tank Command mailbag, which you can check out now wherever you get your podcasts. To Tank Command on a Football Friday, presented by your local Honda dealer here on the Team Nine Eighty. Experience, power, performance, and ruggedness with Honda C, your local Honda dealer. We get back, back to the hoops. NBA in-season tournament. Mark Kessinger was there calling the action for ESPN Radio, and he joins us next live from Las Vegas. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We will pick this week's NFL action coming up in just a little bit. Normally we do that here at 5.30 on a Friday, but uh, it is our pleasure instead to go out live to Las Vegas. We're happy to move the show around if we can get someone on site calling the games in the biggest sporting event of the weekend. And that's exactly what we got with our buddy Mark Kestisher, ESPN Radio, play-by-play coverage of the NBA, including the in-season tournament. Kesty, what's up, man? Great to talk to you here in December. Yeah, Craig, it's good to be on with you. Uh, I'm always the uh, wrecker of show plans, so we can blame this one on the Lakers. They were a little late uh, to their media obligation. So my apologies on behalf of them. Yeah, we'll say on behalf of them, it's their fault. We can just say LeBron James wrecked our show today. We'll blame it on LeBron, whether it's his fault or not, because that sounds cooler for us. 
Well, we had Austin Reeves as one of our interview subjects, and mm-hmm. he got pulled off the golf course tomorrow uh, this morning. Apparently, he was playing uh, the Wynn Golf Course, and oh. um, it was time to go for media. So I, I asked him, I said, at least you weren't like nine under at the turn. That's always hard. He said he was about two or three over. I'm like, that's easy to walk off the course when you're there. I would Two to three over to me is a hole, Mark. I was going to say, I'm usually two or three over after two, so uh, I, I'm yeah. in the same experience as you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, speaking of experiences, what was it like there last night? Obviously, that first game is just tremendous. Second game turns into a blowout, but it's like an all-timer LeBron stretch there in that second quarter. And we, We're watching it on TV. It, it, I mean, the court looks like a video game on TV. Uh, but other than that, it looks amazing. The players seem to be super into it. What's it like to be there in person You know, calling the game? You know, it was uh, it was a cool experience. I will say, having watched the quarterfinal knockouts at the home sites like everybody else on Monday and Tuesday, those atmospheres, from what I was told and what we saw, looked off the charts. You know, it's a home game. Uh, it's got meaning in early December, late November, and it felt like playoff atmosphere, especially in Indiana where, you know, they've been frothing at the mouth, you know, to get a team that can compete and get to the playoffs, um, I don't think you had that same fan atmosphere. Um, you know, it was a 2 p.m. start here. You had the Lakers in the night game, and a lot of Lakers fans, you know, made their way up from Los Angeles. I think just the first time around, you were waiting to see, you know, what's going to take a while to take hold. And it wasn't the players buying in because they bought in early. You know, the games have been close, and that has helped. But I think, you know, having it a neutral site, um, as much as Las Vegas is a destination, it's tough on a Thursday, and they'll work on it. They'll tweak it, and I think the fans that did show up, uh, even though it wasn't a complete sellout, were into the game and certainly having a close game as it was uh, in the first matchup with the Pacers and the Bucks, that brought up a, a lot of excitement. And I know the Laker fans are still, uh, you know, probably haven't come in from last night out on the strip uh, with a 44-point win and onto the championship tomorrow. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting, you know, part of the, you, you've called the NCAA tournament before and like you understand this and those of us that have covered NCAA tournaments know it's different. Like unless you're the first game of the day, you don't get a full warm up. Like you go out there, it's 20 minutes on the clock. You better have warmed up someone in the tunnel. I know they had like a, a practice gym, but I was actually very surprised, Mark, like how much time there was between the games. Um, yes. What what was is that one of the things you think they look at like making it more tournament feeling for this semifinal if it's even at a neutral side again like what actually I should just ask you open ended what are some of the tweaks that you're already hearing being around everybody out there in Vegas Yeah you know it's funny because even like league officials that we've run into you know have kind of asked you know all of us who follow the league like what have you thought what could be better you know they're gonna we had Adam Silver on in between games, you know, and, and some of our question was directed toward, you know, what could you do differently? And, and the commissioner, you know, stressed that he wants to get through the weekend first, that he wants to talk to his players and his coaches and, you know, the folks that work in the league, league office and find out, you know, how we can make it better. Um, and I'm sure that will come up. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure they wanted two gates. Excuse me. That's you know probably the reason why you had to get the you know first session out, bring the second session in, but it does leave that extra period of time, which also has a positive effect because then it allowed uh, the Lakers and the Pelicans you know to get a normal game day warm up to get out there and uh, you know get ready to play the game. So all things they'll take a look at, you know stuff that 
um, you know, was not quirky, but, you know, maybe just uh, didn't flow as much as you would expect. That's certainly one of them. Yeah, and then I'm <clears> curious <throat> if they wind up doing the, the neutral site maybe just for the final next year. Do they do the semifinal again? Um, we'll see because you mentioned those home crowds uh, have been crazy. Um, you've called so many LeBron's games uh, over the course of his career. You know, you've, you've been able to call NBA Finals uh, for much of the last decade, uh, which obviously included many of, of his games uh, with, with Cleveland and then the bubble games uh, in 2020. Like, you've seen so much greatness from him. Is last night, like, just up there in, in that stratosphere of, of great games, great stretches? He winds up only playing 23 minutes because he killed the Pelicans in the second quarter. Yeah, it's funny um, because in a, for a stretch of it, it was very short. You know, when you took a look after the game, he played less than 23 minutes, and it was just so efficient. It was cold-bloodedly efficient, and they didn't really need him, you know, to do anything once they got – midway through the third quarter. So if you look at it just in its sample size of 22 minutes and 30 whatever seconds, you know, it ranks right up there with, you know, any performance in the history of the NBA. It was amazing. Like LeBron's still setting records every day with stuff he does. I think it was the most efficient 30-point game in his career, which is pretty amazing. And when I asked Darvin Ham today, we just, you know, left Lakers media about it, you know, I'm speaking 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, 22 minutes, trying to see what his reaction is. The first thing he said, you know what impressed me more? He took three charges. Right. You know, and all in the first half. And then I said, yeah, and one of them was against, you know, one of the, one of the biggest dudes uh, in the league in Zion Williamson. And he said, yeah, and that was even better um, because he said, look, LeBron braced himself and you take a charge from that big man that's going to get you fired up. You know, uh, Darvin Ham's a different guy. I love him. I love talking to him. Um, he loves physical basketball, so that was right up his alley. Um, and it's just amazing to everybody that we talk to, um, and it's still a subject that at you know approaching age 39, and Rick Carlisle talked about that today. He's like, you know, I looked up on my phone. He's going to be 39 in a couple of weeks, and he still hasn't dropped off. You know, there's no apparent drop-off in, uh, in his play, and it still amazes everybody that he doesn't get tired. And the thing that Rick Carlisle mentioned as well is not only is he in great shape, but everything you throw at him, he's seen before. And he's always been good, even at his young age and in his prime, early prime, you know, at deciphering defenses and, and figuring out all the counters that you get to this point in your career. And he sees everything. And it, you know, it's, it's outside of injury. He's really tough to stop. And clearly, um, you know, winning this first NBA Cup means something to him because you could see it last night. We've always said if he just puts his head down and wants to get to the rim, he's going to get to the rim. And it, you know, confuses why confuses you why he doesn't do it all the time. And, you know, he wants to get other guys involved too, so that's a, a function of it there. But last night he had a clear goal right from the first second of the game. Yeah, I mean, the, the his ability to kind of feel the game and manage energy and decide when it's time to go that route has always been, I think, underrated because we all wonder, like, can he just do this all the time? Because he seems capable of doing it all the time. Yeah. And you you see it in Game 7s or do-or-die games. Like, he's one of the best scorers. It's like him, Jordan, and Durant are all over 30 points a game. And, uh, you know, every game in this tournament, obviously, from this elimination stage on, has been do or die. And what's he done? Been right on those targets where he just does that and says, oh, well, screw the energy. If we don't lose this game, there's not another one. 
and and he he goes nuts. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have Tyrese Halliburton, who was a whopping what three years old when LeBron made his NBA debut. <laughs> when did you realize? Like we've always known that Halliburton could be a good player since his rookie year, since he was in Sacramento. But when did you realize that he could be this, a top 15 NBA player that's going to challenge for, uh, you know, one of the top all-NBA guard spots this year? You know, I don't think I did because we did Iowa State games when he was playing in the Big 12, and I was always impressed with him. I liked his size. His shot's really kind of funky, so right. it looked weird. And you're like, I don't know if this is going to work, you know, in the NBA. And I remember after his senior year, um, Fran Fraschilla, I said it on the air last night. I said, I got to credit Fran Fraschilla because he talked on every interview show he did leading up to the draft. He said, take Tyrese Halliburton. I guarantee you're not going to be disappointed. Not only is he talented, he is smart, and he is way ahead of his years as a leader. And it's all the stuff we're seeing now. He's 23 years old. And uh, we had our interview session with him today, and he's – you could just see it. You, you can see another young guy who loves the game, who puts in the work, who's incredibly smart. And I, I didn't see it coming. The Sacramento Kings, you know, had a, an embarrassment of riches, you know, at point guard. They had De'Aaron Fox, and they took him because he was the best guy on the board at 12. You know, it was surprising that he fell that far. And, you know, there's 11 other teams that would be like, why didn't we take Tyrese Halliburton? And it was a trade that worked for both teams. With Sabonis going to Sacramento, they made the great jump last year. And Halliburton coming to Indiana. And now he's in his second year here. They've, you know, he and Miles Turner have turned into a great duo. And I hope it's not just early season success. It feels like it's something that can, you know, make this a playoff team at the end of the year, but they're still young. And side note, uh, Halliburton in the beginning of our interview uh, told us, and I hadn't read, read it anywhere, but maybe it's common knowledge. He grew up the biggest LeBron James fan in Wisconsin. Oh. He goes, I was. He goes, I was a Cavs fan. I was a Heat fan. I was a Cavs fan, and then I was a Lakers fan until I was drafted. So to play LeBron James tomorrow, and he's you know played him before, and he's had conversations with him, but it, this means a lot to him because LeBron James is his guy. He had the that, fat head on the wall. That's how he. That's how he told me. He stamped it. That was his guy. That is a great story. And, you know, we were looking it up earlier because we were obviously talking about it. And I was like, when was Halliburton born? He's elite baby, which is fun. Uh, he gets a real birthday this year uh, coming up when he turns 24. I didn't know um, that. I, I would have loved to have that in the interview. I'm fascinated by elite babies. There you go. So he's a February 29th baby, February 29th, 2000. And, so how old you know, is he in, in birthday years? Is he you know, six, got, six? Mark. Five? Mark. We went to the same school. We have the same degree. We don't do. We don't do math. We don't do math. Why did you just do that to me? Actually, uh, uh, PJ Carlissimo took a shot at our school because uh, I was trying to figure out the Lakers' uh, advantage over New Orleans, and I'm like, you know, they're up 41. And PJ goes, "Wow, using that Syracuse education." I'm like, "Well, you better check me because I'm not sure if it's right." It yeah. was right, so count one for the good guys. Excellent. Yeah. No, Anthony, uh, our producer, uh, is is also a Syracuse alum. Anthony, and what's our what's our number one rule of the show? No math involved. Nobody yes, told me there no would math. be math. No, that's actually the second rule of the show. The first rule is don't cuss. The second rule is there's no <laughs> math on the well, show. Let's see. Uh, we, we can do this. Hold on. We can carry the one, yeah. uh, move the five, and we are 24 years in, and you don't yeah. count the first one, so that's 24 divided so, by four, and I'm lost. 
So he's six years old. <laughs> so this would be the fifth time he gets a true birthday, I think, is, is if we don't count the first yeah. one. Okay. I think. Then he's going to be five. So I wish I could have now, opened Max, my now, Mark, that. now you've pushed the button. Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to count on my fingers. He will, he will be six years old, guys. Because, be well, yeah, but 24 divided by four is six. That part I got. Yeah. Um, yep. But so he celebrated 2000. 2004, 2008. We, 12, you know what? We are dumbing 16, down your audience by the 20, moment, and I yeah, apologize. <laughs> I don't apologize. Uh, that is Mark Kestisher with us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, a treat, as always, Mark. Have so much fun calling the final tomorrow night, and uh, we will definitely catch up with you throughout the rest of the season. I'm giving that leap age tomorrow. Book it. Good yes. to talk with you, Craig. Excellent. All right. That is Mark Kestisher, everybody here on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and, of course, streaming live on YouTube. Anthony, that was thoroughly embarrassing for us. Uh, Yeah, a, a little bit. Actually, I think you looked the best there. You're like, guys, he's six. Yeah. It's fine. I, I just did the math real quick, you know. Real yeah, 24 divided. That's basic five. math. You 24 know, divided by four. Yeah, no, that part I got. But then he threw me off with the you don't count the first one bit. Yeah, but you wouldn't count that in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. he's six. I'm proud um, of you guys. Well, I'm proud of thanks. us. Yeah, proud of proud us. Of us. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm proud of you, too, because for the amount of times that you've embarrassed Georgetown Prep on this show, Whoa. with a vari- variety of English and or uh, history. Oh, Greek lacking, mythology, you, yeah. You, yeah, you made it. it up with math. Yeah. Yeah. Icarus. All right. Yep. Um, I have no idea what we're doing next. We Here's what we have through the rest of the show in some sort of order. Dave Johnson is going to talk about Wizards, uh, Nets, and also whatever else we want to talk about because it's Dave and Lord. Speaking of Lord knows where it goes. Anthony, the face you're making. Do we need to? Do we need to confirm with Dave? Is that the face you just made? No, we got Dave. Oh, okay. What was the, what face did you just make? Because we have a lot of things to do. We do. We have our NFL tiers. Yep. Um, we got our picks, and then we got our picks. We got Should Dave. we? Start on picks next, finish them at six, and then, or should we start on tiers next? Do picks at 630. I think we should lie through tiers. Okay. Yeah, let's do tiers next. All right, we're going to get at least one tier solidly out of the way very quickly next. Uh, it's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. we got to go to break right around the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Um, I don't know, Anthony, if we'll have time to even get through a tier. Um, I, I'm, we're, so we're just going to blitz through the tiers coming up at 6 o'clock before we have Dave on. And then we'll do our picks at 6.30 also quickly. You're gonna have to, we were talking on the break, though. Linnell wanted to do the NFL tiers yesterday, and he had how many tiers? <laughs> Linnell had eight tiers. That's that's too many tiers. Why Wait, is he making what? a wedding cake? I told him he had way too many tiers. Um, how many like how many teams? He got he had as many tiers as the NFL has divisions. Yeah, Are these yeah. in the rundown somewhere? His tiers from yesterday. Yeah, uh, I'm a copy and paste them up. Real oh, here quick. we go. Here we go. I know. I, I'm. Oh, scrolling. you see them? Yeah. It starts off with making reservations for Vegas. One, two, three, four, five. You know, you know who made his reservations for Vegas uh, this week? Oh, he 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 left one out. Ooh. Oh, you, your boy. Oh, you yeah. taking the show to the Super Bowl Radio Row, baby. That's gonna be so much fun, man. I'm gonna be here, sad but happy at the same time. I mean, if you can, if you can find a spot out there. Oh, that's easy work. I mean, it's more so just not being able to work from here. 
Well, we could have someone hit the buttons. I do need a producer out there. Uh oh. Well, uh, let's talk about that off air. I, I'm loving it. Got you. Because I'm sure, like, Z's going to go out there, right? Yes, he's going out there for the Pro Bowl. Well, if he gets into the Pro Bowl, but he's making the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Leads the NFL in tackles. He's making the Pro Bowl. Yeah. He better make the Pro Bowl. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss. Um, consistently inconsistent. If we only had a good enough backup QB making lemonade out of lemons. Like, these yeah, are, the Texans, the, the Broncos. Like, he has some. I don't know. I, I understood the tears, but our tears and the purpose the of our tears are different. A, create a, a, a headline for every team. The point is to yeah. rank the teams to, together. Yeah. It's about bringing teams together, not separating them apart. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, I'm sorry that everyone had to sit through that. <laughs> Slash, you're welcome for having – I had no control over it. It was, it was some good that. banter, though. I'm sure it was very interesting. Linnell is creative. Yes. I will give him that. Yes. Uh, but our tiers are – Prime contenders, puncher's chance, interesting, but not quite good enough, and no chance. And we will put the entire NFL, 32 teams, in those four tiers, in 12 minutes or less, next.